0: Reach out to me at Stephanie at org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce.
1: The addition of video to product pages has scaled our conversion rate by an incremental 10 or 20%. It's hard to fathom because typically most retailers merchandise video is like the last piece in an image carousel. But people don't like to read, they want to be told, be surprised and delighted. Leveraging that video format in the short, condensing it to 30 seconds has been really big for us.
2: You may not know exactly what Softex is, but chances are you've seen or even own a Softex product. That's because Softex is a to c company that provides products to retailers like Walmart, Amazon, Bed Bath & Beyond, Macy's, and many more. The company specializes in sleep products like pillows, mattress toppers, mattresses, mattress pads, or anything else you might need in your bedroom to help you get a good night's sleep. But Softex doesn't only ship to their retail partners. In recent years, the company has used its e-commerce and drop shipping capabilities in an effort to get even more in the lives of consumers. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Taylor Jones, the Vice President of Marketing for Softex, explains how the company is creating a collaborative partnership with retailers while also exploring and consulting in the world of e-commerce. He explains the ways in which Softex goes about ensuring successful product launches, including the exact number of reviews he thinks is the sweet spot, why SEO and product usage videos are the ultimate keys to success, and the need for an Amazon strategy and what that looks like. Enjoy this episode. Up next
0: in commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce, connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com commerce. everyone and welcome back to your number 1 show on all things e-commerce. I'm your host Stephanie Postles and today we have Taylor Jones on the show, the VP of marketing and e-commerce at Softtech International. Taylor, welcome.
1: Hey Stephanie, thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. I'm feeling a little bit sleepy now thinking about all the nice products you guys have that are centered around sleep. I'd love for you to dive a bit into what is Softtex International and how did you come to the company?
1: Yeah, uh, we'd love to hook hook you up uh, first off.
0: Yes, please.
1: Yeah. um, So at Softex, you know, we're really serious about sleep uh, and home comfort products. Um, You know, I think for a long time, the company has been a leader uh, in memory foam um, and cooling technologies and just everything to help you get a better night's sleep and, you know, live a a comfortable and better life. I came to the company about three years ago. I have deep digital experience, uh, worked for a company called Red Ventures here in Charlotte. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, then for another company uh, in the call center space, uh, Rise Virtual Solutions, and from some mutual connections, uh, found uh, this role at Softex um, and started, you know, really owning uh, the e-commerce business for them. And, and it's blossomed into a larger marketing role, including e-commerce still.
0: That's great. So how do I think about Softex? Because maybe a normal consumer maybe hasn't heard of them. So how do I think about how big the company is, who their partners are, how you guys sell? Tell me a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So Softex is really a B2B2C company. And Softex is the entity that would be known to our retail partners. So think about Macy's, Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, JCPenney, Walmart, Amazon, you know, the the whole gamut of retail we supply uh, with with bedding. Uh, pillows, toppers, mattresses, mattress pads, protection, you know, anything that you, is in the bedroom that's, you know, that you'd sleep on, we probably make it. We have a direct-to-consumer presence that we work with, uh, bedpillows.com. Uh, we also, you know, have a robust, you know, dropship capability. So it's not just uh, we sell in bulk to a, a retailer. Uh, we do that, absolutely. Uh, but we do, uh, as a core capability, have a uh, drop ship to over 50 partners.
0: Wow. So it seems like there's an interesting mix where, you know, you're trying to market for yourself. You're doing direct-to-consumer. You have your retail partners. How do you think about managing these relationships and also not cannibalizing yourself at the same time?
1: Right. So I would say, you know, our partnership with bedpillows.com is is emerging. It's a delicate balance for folks in our position because we supply, you know, our retail partners, you know, we absolutely don't want to compete with them. Ultimately, those relationships are are very important to us and and we build custom products. It's a very collaborative process with our our brick and mortar uh, retail partners and the branding that, that goes into, you know, all of our different channels, um, you know, soft we have about five or six national or licensed brands that, that we supply product under, or, or we'll develop product under a private label to kind of Mm -hmm. mitigate, you know, some of the brand conflicts or, or sales channel conflicts, um, you know, that may arise with selling our products.
0: Very cool. And are you helping your partners when it comes to Digitally marketing, you know, the mattresses and the pillows. Like, are you helping improve their e-commerce strategy? Because I could see you having a lot of insights into different brands and their strategies and what they're doing to maybe share that knowledge and help each other out.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so, the role we play on the with the e-commerce team is a consultative role, in, in that uh, aspect, in that you know, we're able to see over the wall. We supply our product to you know the fifty different partners that I that I mentioned. So we can see some really interesting things that, you know, maybe somebody over here is doing um, in merchandising, you know, our assortment, you know, with features, attributes, you know, something cool on the the product description page. And, you know, we can make that suggestion, you know, to someone else who, who maybe has not done that yet.
0: That's great. So what are some learnings or key things that you see happening on these e-commerce sites where you're like, here's some good best practices that anyone could implement? Or I see this working really well right now, or maybe it wasn't working six months ago. Like what kind of lessons are you seeing throughout all these brands that you work with?
1: I think the concept of, of review syndication, uh, and review seeding is, is very important. Um, obviously, you know, authenticity is, is critical and, and you don't want to see fake reviews, but mm-hmm. when you have a new product, Accelerating the process through which uh, consumers can experience the product um, and write a review and leave a review such that it it exists as social proof, you know, for other customers who see that product is so important to getting a product, you know, off on the good foot. Um, You know, we've seen, you know, in the home comfort space, you know, 10 to 15 reviews seems to be a, a sweet spot for a new product introduction to really help accelerate its growth.
0: Oh yeah, completely agree on there. How do you encourage reviews?
1: There are review seeding partners out there. There's companies, uh, you know, that you can do seeding programs with, Um, you know, Bizarre Voice is a big one in our space. Um, You know, they have a really interesting service where uh, you can collect reviews if you have a, you know, a direct to consumer presence and syndicate those reviews. Or, and they also have a, a network of, of folks that exist to, uh, you know, you can nominate your products and, and folks will order it um, to sample your product. And those reviews can get syndicated out uh, to uh, retailers that, you know, on the, on the flip side are members of the Bizarre Voice syndication network. So we've seen retailers who participate in that really scale up quickly on our products.
0: Very cool. So they're not really having to do as much of the heavy lifting because essentially a consumer would review a product and that review can be used multiple times. Is that how to think about it?
1: Yeah. So through like a a seated review, uh, say we did 10 reviews, you know, those same 10 reviews would appear on uh, Macy's, on JCPenney, on Kohl's, all at the same time versus, you know, if someone visited a Macy's and bought the product and reviewed it, obviously that review would be owned by Macy's um, and on the show there. So, you know, uh, as much as we can do to, you know, um, help reviews go as many places as possible, that, that's that been very helpful.
0: That makes sense. So when it comes to, I'm thinking about mattresses and buying mattresses for a while, you know, sure. everyone wanted to lay on them and sit on them and see how they feel. And now with the market evolving, especially with the pandemic and everyone, you know, being a little bit more comfortable with ordering online, what kind of shifts have you seen? Like, do you see consumer expectations increasing, consumer demands increasing on the sellers? Like, what are you seeing happening behind the scenes right now?
1: So, I mean, for our products from basic bedding, so everything non-mattress and the mattress, it's, it's been through the roof. I think, you know, uh, folks want a fresh and clean sleeping environment. You know, especially cleanliness is top of mind. Um, you know, with COVID, in fact, Softex, my company announced a, a deeper partnership uh, with a Thompson Research Associates. They make a, an antimicrobial technology called UltraFresh. But mm-hmm. the market is hot right now for for all bedding products. Um, and I think you know, from the customer experience point that you're you're kind of hitting at, you know, do you need to touch and feel the product? In order to feel confident in, in purchasing it, certainly bedding is a very tactile and personal experience. And the same pillow or mattress that's great for me may not work for you, right? But I think we, we've seen folks uh, through warranties and trial periods that the industry has, um, particularly on the mattresses. You know, pretty much a hundred night sleep trial guarantee in some form or the other is is a standard now. Um, but from a, a pillow or, or topper or other product standpoint, maybe there's not that that trial period, but uh, being as descriptive as possible uh, in the, the images, the copy, using enhanced content and the importance of video is so important, um, you know, badged attributes, iconography, to really recreate um, that story and experience without it, doing everything you can without The consumer touching the product, you know, and that way, I kind of joke uh, with folks at my company that that I have like the hardest job, right? I have to convince people to buy something uh, that's highly personal and tactile that they will have never touched.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty tough. Have what kind of best practices have you seen around creating videos? Because that's something that a lot of companies are leaning into right now. But especially for, you know, uh, like a mattress or something, what are you seeing work when it comes to videos for the products?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, the concept of video can take a number of forms. YouTube is the second largest search engine. So, you know, you can do a ton of of explainer videos or keyword optimized videos, you know, to try and, you know, drum up search traffic to your products. Um, But you can also leverage video, uh, in particular, like the 30 second to a minute product video Um, to help drive conversion. And I I think, you know, that's been a a huge thing that we've seen. Um, The addition of video to product pages has scaled uh, our conversion rate by an incremental 10 or 20%. Wow. It's hard to fathom, you know, because typically most retailers' uh, merchandise video is like the last uh, piece in an image carousel, right? But people you know don't like to read they want to to be told you know and be surprised and delighted and so you know leveraging that video format in the short uh condensing it to 30 seconds has been really big for us and i think it, you know stylistically it's very on brand for us like the videos that we've done like you know Softex is a very innovative company uh with uh emphasizing technology cooling uh I mentioned antimicrobial. Um, so our videos come off as very techy, you know, with graphics, lower thirds that you know pop up. Um, so I think you know making sure your uh, your videos are on brand and authentic to your brand voice, uh, quick, uh, clearly, and concisely conveying the product uh, value proposition. I mean, you know, in our space, you know, it's really, how are we different than everybody else selling a mattress or a pillow? You know, there's thousands of options.
0: Yep. Are you making the videos for your brand partners where they all are kind of using the same one? Are you customizing them where you're like Bed Bath & Beyond, this kind of video works better versus Macy's, they have a different kind of clientele and we're going to make a different video for them? Or are they making their own?
1: Absolutely. Great question, Stephanie. So, you know, for private label products that are or, or um, we have some national brands that we offer exclusively to certain retailers. Um, obviously, those are customized, and you know we work with retail partners like Bed Bath and Beyond and Macy's on uh, art direction, uh, model considerations. We work with them on developing a storyboard and get it approved by them before we, uh, you know, film it.
0: Got it. That makes sense. The one thing I was thinking about when we were mentioning direct to consumer how you guys were going about that route right now. I was thinking about a very large mattress brand who I think recently IPO'd and a lot of people were talking about their negative unit costs. And I was wondering how are you guys thinking about that with your direct to consumer strategy? Like are you willing to have negative margins to add a new customer or how do you think about the digital growth around them?
1: The way we've thought about it in a lot of ways is is in the concept of, you know, we're you know, getting reviews on Amazon is so critical to helping ramp up. Um, so, you know, if you're giving a discount or something that that you may be selling your product at a loss initially to help gain those reviews and, uh, you know, gain some initial sales traction initially, um, I think it has to be for a finite period of time, right, that you turn the corner and, and have a clear path to, to profitability. You can't, you can't just do it indefinitely, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that there are definitely values uh, to doing it. Uh, in that, you know, you get your brand out there, you get some exposure. Uh, you know, user-generated content is so powerful right now. I think if the world is telling us anything, you know, so the power of social media and and viral media. Um, the same can be true for user-generated content and reviews. You know, if you get a really good review or a really bad one, um, you know, people can upvote them, you know, they're always going to be there, right? So
0: important. Yeah, that makes sense. So is there any kind of model that you develop around like, we're okay with going in the negative for this amount of time with this campaign? or Is there any models that you build to influence those decisions around adding new customers?
1: In terms of the review thing, it's still an algorithm that that we're working out, you know, what's the right quantity of review that that moves the needle um, mm-hmm. you know towards a product being successful um, you know that that's mostly in our space, right? Like you know when you're syndicating in a, a retail uh, environment, uh, so products sold across many retailers, you know because really like the review is a key way to optimize like each retailer is its own search engine, right Now if you're your own brand, right, um, selling direct to the consumer, it's a different calculus. You know, you have a, your own tolerance with your, with whoever's providing your investment. If you're, you know, going to go negative for, for a time, um, you know, what is the strategy? How do you become cash flow positive in the industry? A lot of these just uh, e-commerce mattress in a box guys, really, they're marketing companies. If you think about it, um, there's a lot of articles, you know, a lot of them are made by the same folks. Um, in terms of uh, manufacturers and uh, who pours the foam, et cetera.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting to think about. I'm sure I have three, I think I have three different brands of mattresses in our house, but I'm pretty sure they're probably all the same or <laughs> made from or the same same Cut people. from the same cloth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. They all feel pretty similar. Um, what, how do you think about returns for something as large as a mattress? Or, you know, I'm thinking about like furniture companies and stuff. How have you seen some brands lower their return rates? Like what are some best practices around that?
1: For the industry, for the mattress in a box, like, you know, we've seen return rates average out between 10 and 15%, including like the comfort trials and, and everything, right? You know, when you're a direct to consumer mattress in a box guy, um, you know, that has to be factored into your pricing. Some other things that that we've seen creative ways to save the sale, um, you know, a, a, a lot of one of the big complaints with sleep products is maybe the bed is too firm. So maybe some, you know, maybe you'd send a topper um, or something to make the mattress more plush, um, you know, as a, as a method to, you know, save returning the mattress because ultimately right, wrong, or indifferent in the mattress industry, once somebody slept on a bed, you, you can't resell it. Um, it. It's just one yeah. of those things. People don't, don't buy a used mattress.
0: So we were talking about how a lot of the, you know, brands that maybe we think are unique, maybe are utilizing the same types of, you know, um, underlying materials and things like that. So they're kind of similar. I saw that you guys sell on Amazon. Are you ever worried that Amazon could just, you know, knock you off and just make a mattress that's so similar that, you know, it's maybe not beneficial to be on there or what's your reason for selling products on there?
1: so many things nowadays uh, if you're searching for a product, you know, folks don't just begin on Google anymore. Uh, There's a large contingent of the population that are prime subscribers and really begin uh, the product uh, search phase on Amazon. Um, So I think you pretty much have to be there to have the share of voice, um, whether you like it or not. Um, You know, I think, for us, Amazon's a, a growing partner. Um, certainly, you know it's it's hard. We have a lot of uh, rebates and allowances with them from a margin standpoint. It, it, and I'm sure you've heard this from from many folks. Um, you know, it's hard uh, to find products that you know you can be profitable. Brands have to make a decision to have an Amazon strategy. It's something that it is delicate. Um, obviously you know, retailers are very sensitive to being copped on Amazon. So it's Mm -hmm. a very nuanced, uh, delicate uh, road that we kind of walk. You know, we have an assortment that we have on Amazon, but we also offer exclusive products to other channels that we don't offer to Amazon.
0: Got it. Is there any other advice that you would give when it comes to selling on Amazon? But making sure that it's beneficial? Like you said, one, one idea is keeping exclusive content to where not everything you offer is all on Amazon. Is there anything else that you all do where you're like, this works well?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, really it's uh, ensuring uh, that you're being thoughtful about your assortment if you're selling uh, on multiple outlets. Um, you know, we've learned in our experience uh, that Amazon is is a price follower. Uh, well, we're a first-party vendor. Obviously, many of your listeners may, may be third-party sellers where they they uh, set the retail price. But as a first-party vendor, we have a wholesale price that we give to Amazon, and there are, you know, like I mentioned, rebates and allowances. But ultimately, they then retail it to make a a, to a profit, and or, or not in some cases. And you know, they're pretty aggressive in price scraping and uh, seeing what others are doing and, you know, commanding, uh, the market share, you know, to come to them, you know, if they see a lower price out in the market, they will likely try and beat it. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you, you just have to be prepared before you open that floodgate. Um, you know, if if that's your strategy, you know, making sure that you're ready to enforce or de-inventory Amazon as needed. I, I think, uh, You know, certainly uh, if you're a third party seller on Amazon, um, you're in much more control of your destiny uh, in that respect, as you can, you set the retail yourself.
0: And that completely makes sense. In terms of SEO, I'm thinking it's pretty tricky for you guys to, you know, you want your brands to be seen as leaders, but then you also want yourself to be seen as leaders. What kind of SEO tactics do you all use for yourself and your brands?
1: A great question. Um, I totally think, um, you know, in our space in particular, features and attributes are more important uh, than the brand overall in terms of, you know, the the search volume. Obviously, you know, if you build a brand, uh, which obviously we all are in the business of doing, you can build search volume that way. But, you know, most of our SEO strategy exists around you know, trying to optimize and rank for generic keywords, um, you know, based on the features and benefits of each product. You know, for us, uh, the brand story um, and value proposition is more of a conversion factor uh, rather than you know a volume driver, if you will. We as a company have invested more in building a robust e-commerce interface, you know, to target that, that non-branded search term versus, you know, paying money to, for our brands to be, you know, uh, the most searched today. Um, That's not to say that, you know, our brands uh, aren't, you know, don't have an impressive story and value proposition, but I think, you know, part of that comes into, to cost, right? A brand that, you know, uh, spends a lot in marketing, like a, a direct-to-consumer mattress that may retail for you know thousand uh, dollars, queen size, roughly. Um, you know, you have a very similar product that we offer under our one of our brands. You know, through a Macy's or J.C. JCPenney or you know uh, Walmart, Amazon that retails you know for three fifty to four hundred dollars. Is there much difference in the product? Um, I would say they're they're very similar in terms of feature and attributes, but um, you know it comes down to advertising and price point, right?
0: So, what have you seen works? Like, how do you win?
1: Each retailer is its own search engine, um, and each retailer's algorithm for uh, the sort that they show when when somebody types in a pill. You know, I'm searching for memory foam pillows, or or pillows, or uh, mattresses um, is a little different. Um, they take into, into effect or into account different, um, different factors. Uh, Most, all of them leverage the trailing sales history, um, review, uh, quality. So, you know, are you, is your product good? Is it, you know, four stars or better? Are you getting reviews recently? Um, so review, uh, count and frequency and, and recency. And then how does it relate to the query uh, that was searched? Um, so, you know, for example, there's a lot of back-end keywords that we look to put with our products, um, and we've really gone through and, and, and looked to optimize those to make sure that we're calling out things like, you know, if a product is antimicrobial, is it tagged appropriately? Or, or if it's, uh, you know, got s- some certifications or or whatever it is, such that, when you're searching on a retailer, if you're, if you're typing in the keyword or leveraging a checkbox menu, you know, and a faceted navigation that we're optimized to show as much as we can.
0: Got it. So how are you finding new brands who would be willing to work with you on selling your product? Like, are you marketing to them? Are you approaching them directly cold email? Like how do you find new partners in your space?
1: yeah it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know a lot of our business um, is uh you know it, uh, if you put it into two buckets, uh hunting and farming. It is farming uh you, you bring uh, uh, new ideas and new product and new concepts to the same folks you've been dealing with. We absolutely um, you know have hunting strategies as well. Honestly, I think Softex has taken a position. Um, As an industry leader of research, um, you know, we've undertaken a betting industry research initiative, uh, both of betting buyer trends. Like we work with, you know, many, many retail partners. And especially during COVID times, we've been able to survey our partners on what they're seeing and aggregate the results and provide that as as a free service that I think has been really valuable to folks in the industry. And then also not just uh, industry or kind of retailer B2B information, but uh, what the consumer is looking for uh, in betting today. Uh, We've actually just completed, you know, a large scale research initiative, um, you know, for uh, betting consumer tastes and preferences in 2020.
0: Very cool. And are you plugging in some of your products as it's like, you know, consumers are very interested in cleanliness going forward. And what do you know? We have an antimicrobial product.
1: <laughs> it's absolutely the type of uh, feedback loop that, that fuels our, our product development cycle. So um, in our betting buyer survey, so we, we just got the results back on that. Um, as you might imagine, anything with fresh and clean attributes has, has been on a positive sale tr- sales trend. Um, and we've always we've long uh, for a long time had antimicrobial uh, infusions and treatments in our products. But, uh, you know, obviously uh, we're ramping that up now, uh, given, you know, the, the favorable sales trend that it's seeing. Um, but we're looking forward to, you know, kind of seeing the full uh, landscape of of what, you know, consumers are shopping for how they shop. Um, as that's in constant flux, especially with uh, you know COVID and beyond, I think you know uh, consumers are are more comfortable shopping online increasingly daily. More and more orders are for all of e-commerce, not just uh, betting, are taking place you know digitally.
0: Yeah, do you think this is a longer term trend? And if so, how have you guys kind of sh- shifted your strategy? Like what things are you planning on doing differently or changing going forward?
1: I think, you know, like I mentioned, uh, we've done a great job at Softex in um, optimizing our, our product pages and, and the end retailer optimization. Uh, we are making the investment now in kind of that top of funnel or, you know, off of retailer sites uh, discoverability. So we want people to have our brands enter the consideration phase earlier in the process versus, you know, just see them on a retailer site um, and, and, and click on them. So we're definitely investing there because we do see, um, you know, the shift towards e-commerce increasingly as a long-term trend. Just, you know, uh, rough numbers that I had looked at before uh, this podcast, you know, when I started at Softex, E-commerce was, you know, just under 10% of the total business.
0: Wow. That was three years ago, right?
1: Yeah, that, that was in, uh, you know, 2017. And I think, you know, ultimately, even then we were under indexed um, as, a, as a company. You know, this year, just given how the trends are going and, and how we're pacing, you know, it's looking, you know, uh, 35 to 40%. Um, So, uh, a really big, and 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 that's not to say that the you know the brick and mortar piece or uh, other channels of business, you know, have have shrunk terribly either. You know, it's just grown that much just organically as well.
0: With that much growth, I'm thinking about your tech stack now, and I saw a quote on some article where you said our approach is working, and we believe that the tech stack we've built is well positioned for continued growth. So what does your tech stack look like? What are you guys investing in? Uh, what kind of platform are you using? What does it look like behind the scenes?
1: Product information management and taxonomy and really taking control of your your data as the expert of whatever product you make um, is so critical. You know, I, Before I started, all of our product data was in, you know, 50 million Excel sheets, right? um and now mm-hmm. it's you know much more systematized um and and also oh um not to mention you know different retail partners require different fields and um everybody's setup process is a little different whereas you know before that was kind of institutional knowledge and you know it lived with a person now that lives with a platform um so that's a huge process improvement that we've made um, digital asset management is so critical um you know particularly from being able to rapidly get new images out to you know different syndication platforms but also test um you know i think we've we've done a lot and pushed the envelope on image standards you know we talked about um how we can you know play a consultative role with retail partners you know, we'd seen some really nice uh, boosts when we added some badges to images, you know, as kind of trust symbols. Like, you know, if something was featured on Better Homes and Gardens, you know, sticking that, you know, in the bottom right hand corner. Sometimes that's been a little tough because uh, certainly main images get picked up in Google Shopping. And and there's some rules against how much text can be in the image, Um but that worked well for a time when we were able to get it approved from a text tech standpoint, you know, email marketing, um, you know, th- that's super important, um, uh, leveraging. And also of course, uh, you know, social, you know, being able to, um, you know, leverage all of our digital assets and, um, kind of brand voice and, uh, and value, uh, getting it out there, uh, consistently to the customer as well. It's been really important.
0: Uh, yeah. What kind of metrics do you look at for success around um, whether it's your, you know, your B2B type of backend or like your e-commerce platform, what metrics are you reviewing to see if things are going well?
1: You know, an early indication, uh, SKU count. So how many SKUs do we have um, in our assortment and how many places are they set up? Obviously, If we have a 1,000 SKUs, um, they should all be 50 places, ideally, right, Um, Mm -hmm. for full SKU um, syndication. Certainly, um, not every retailer is going to take every SKU that we have. You know, a lot of retailers still have have more of a a curated assortment versus an endless aisle. You know, certainly, I think we see uh, value in an endless aisle because of how we differentiate our products. Um, you know, literally, we, we try to create every product to be a little different, to have a little bit of a, you know, unique feature and uh, value proposition. Um, so, you know, that concept that, you know, um, there's something for everyone, right? So skew count, a very important metric, you know, ultimately um, total sales, uh, obviously, uh, unit sales and uh, how, how are retailers trending. Particularly ramping up like impression volume, uh, you know how many people are getting to a product page, and certainly, um, you know, for folks listening, they're probably like, "Well, how do you get that?" Uh, not every retailer provides that yeah. information, but you certainly, you know, can leverage you know tools out there like on Amazon. You know, there's there's intelligence tools to to look at you know how how many views your products are getting and and other things of that nature. Being able to just check that and, and see the demand for your product over time is, is very important. Um, other metrics that, that we, you know, really look at when we give discounts, um, you know, how things perform, you know, because ultimately a lot of things come back to the law of supply and demand, right? You know, we might have a price in our mind where we think something should be, um, but that's not the price that the consumer wants to pay uh, for a product. So, you know, uh, finding that right price that, that moves the volume, you know, through discounts and just finding that equilibrium is, uh, is interesting. And then obviously we talked about reviews a lot, review count and quality. Um, you know, the quality is a, is a big feedback loop that we take very seriously, um, in terms of, you know, uh, working with our quality assurance and customer service teams, you know to make sure that you know we don't have an issue um and we're very proud you know that that our products you know have about a 4.7 4.8 aggregate rating that's great what works for one person doesn't for another so you might think that a pillow if it if left long enough to its own devices might net out around a 3 uh so the fact that you know we're at like a 4.8 um, overall is is really encouraging
0: no, that that's awesome. So, do any of your partners right now not have an e-commerce platform? I'm thinking there must be some people who don't. Like, how do you work differently with them if they only have a retail location versus your e-commerce partners?
1: Yeah, I, there are, and uh, you know, sometimes you know, e-commerce is is challenging to to jump into. Um, it can seem daunting for folks that aren't doing it because you're you're talking about things that. At the each level versus you know big big old fat POs that the way retail used to run right that you you know order a bunch to a warehouse and it get distributed so you know there's a lot of implications to that um, especially when you're talking about uh, commitments for a product you know with e-commerce and and dropship it's the the risk is inherently on the supplier or the vendor. Um, there's no, there's no risk for the retailer, right? The retailer's like, Oh sure, I'll put it up on my website, but, but you're inventorying it, right? You know, you're, you're going to ship it for me just when I sell it. Um, so a lot of companies that that's the biggest objection I think is, you know, without a hard commitment or a, a, uh, a retailer to commit to bulk units upfront, um, maybe they, if they don't have that, they won't offer it for e-commerce. They won't bring it in um, because um, they don't have that driver to pull them into it. Cause it's very easy. You know, if a retailer is ordering, you know, 10,000 units of something to, you know, Oh, pepper in a few, you know, a few thousand more for e-commerce while, while we're at it. But if e-commerce is the first channel you're thinking about, It it can be a a riskier uh, equation.
0: Do you see that changing going forward? Like, do you see a lot of these brands thinking about now going online?
1: Yeah, I mean, even within Softex, it's changing, right? Um, You know, we have now for, you know, uh, within the past couple of years, now digital first product, whereas, you know, not saying that, my e-commerce department was a recycling bin before, uh, but pulling off of the success of things in, in brick and mortar was really um, what drove e-commerce previously, which is not necessarily a, a bad strategy. But I think today for innovation and, and new product, more and more stuff, you, you just have to, if you're confident in it, you have to commit um, and, and and leverage on e-commerce.
0: Yep. Yeah, completely agree. So I saw you guys had some showrooms. I think for your product, how are you all thinking about that?
1: Yeah, so um, we have permanent showrooms in uh, New York and Las Vegas, and and participate in in market events where we host, you know, the buyers from from many different retail partners. You know, so much of that, the importance of an in person event, um, has been blown up now through COVID. We've now had we went through a virtual market in March which, it, you know, obviously is, is hard to to convey everything, um, you know, through a video. But, you know, we had fun doing it and, and uh, a lot of people really enjoyed it. But, you know, that, that whole concept has been a challenge, right? Uh, being able to find that dedicated time um, to get in front of your customers and have them, you know, that if anything, you know, particularly for stores, you know, it's all about, you know, creating a an experience to surprise and delight. You know, those buyers really want to feel the product and experience it to ensure that it's worth that it will monetize that that floor space that it will take up. So, you know, at, with the first touch point being a virtual video, um, that can be a challenge sometimes. But you know, we're adapting. You know, through virtual markets, mailing samples for Zoom Zoom calls to review them. But it, it certainly has been different. You know, it looks like, um, you know, the, the Las Vegas market furniture show was pushed back. Um, but I, it's it's likely that, at least for us, it's virtual still, just given everything that's going on. So, and many of our customers are, you know, you've seen probably the announcements, like nobody, a lot of travel moratoriums, some through the end of the year, you know, they've already come out and said so. I think uh, home products and, and you know, more folks will will spend money uh, through e-commerce on home and and other products that they're not spending on travel.
0: Are you thinking about incorporating these virtual strategies going forward? Like, is it something even when the pandemic's over that you're like, this is working well? I want to, you know, we might try this out in the future and use it for you know an initial targeting effort to then retarget them to an in-person event afterwards. Or how are you thinking about that marketing strategy going forward?
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, something that you know, we're definitely going to do something that we had been doing, I guess, even before, Um, you know, we would do video walkthroughs of our showroom and our virtual experience uh, with um, an industry publication uh, called home textiles today. Um, But, you know, for the most recent market, we produced the virtual market uh, video ourselves. So, you know, leveraging either internal or, you know, partner capabilities, you know, we still think it's very important to address that. I mean, there's always going to be people that, you know, uh, can't come to an event, forget COVID times. Um, So it's always good to have that digital touch point to be able to send to them. To your point, it absolutely can sit on our website and exist as a, a lead generation tool as well, you know, for people to, you know, sign up to see our latest innovation and then, fill out a lead form and then go watch the video.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of opportunity there for content that is being created now that maybe wouldn't have been thought of before everything that was going on.
1: Right. You know, it's a, it's a delicate situation because a lot of, uh, you know, what what we produce for, for a trade show like that uh, and our competitors is very future looking and conceptual. Um, so, you know, there is a, a level of, of security. Most of what we sell at a trade show is, is not yet fully commercialized sometimes it is but in many cases it's like you know this is new brand new technology and we're introducing it here so you know there's also a dimension of yes we want people to see it but but no we don't want everyone to see it you know
0: yep yeah it's gotta be a little bit uh get a little fomo there and make it a secret
1: that's right that's right
0: so you're at an interesting intersection between b2b and b2c is there anything that you wish existed right now in the e-commerce space or technology wise, or you're like, we're struggling with this right now uh, that you could see getting better in the future or that you hope to get better?
1: We have some partners now uh, that pro- help us provide kind of, you know, really high quality CGI uh, imagery. And um, I mean, obviously that's been around, but, you know, making that process easier, um, it takes a lot of work to stage a an a live photo and video shoot, um, especially for our product class. So, you know, that's something that that we're looking to get better at, such that we can, you know, as we commercialize new products, you know, we don't have to have you know crazy processes to stage a, a photo and video shoot. Certainly, there's a there's value to that, and we and we will continue to use it. We have to use live folks for a lot of things uh, in models and, and videos. But for the static, just e-commerce imagery, getting those uh, images up front can really increase our speed to market. I would think uh, the other thing that perhaps, you know, we're missing today is really seeing, you know, an aggregation of reviews across uh, platforms. So, obviously, we see, you know, reviews that are syndicated, um, but we don't always see every review out there. So, getting notified when there's a negative review in particular, so such that we can see, you know, is it just a one-off, somebody just didn't like it, or, you know, is it the start of a trend um, of some sort? Uh, That happens very seldom with us, fortunately, but um, it's always good to be on the, the forefront the more automation that's out there, the better. Uh, and we, we've done a, a really good job, I think building out that, uh, partners with the scraping capability to monitor, you know, our, our product pages and also, you know, with advertising as well.
0: Very cool. Yeah. That that's a two very useful things that I'm sure a lot of people will be looking for going forward as well. So, we have a couple minutes left and I do not want to let you get out of the lightning round. Okay. Um, so let me know if you're ready and we can start that Taylor. Let's do it. All right. The lightning round it's brought to you by Salesforce commerce cloud. It's where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First one. What's the next sleep product that you're excited about buying or what are you most excited about right now?
1: Um, CBD pillows.
0: Oh, tell me more about that. Yeah.
1: So, uh, our CBD, we're really proud of the chemistry. Uh, it's micro-encapsulated into the, the cover. So with body pressure and as you turn, toss and turn as you sleep, the capsules break open and release the CBD up through the fabric um, and it's absorbed uh, in the uh, CBD uh, receptors in the skin.
0: Oh my gosh, that sounds very interesting. I'm going to have to check that out.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, coming uh, next quarter.
0: Cool. I'll be on the lookout for that. What's up next on your reading list or Audible?
1: That's a really great question. I don't read as much as I should. I'm mostly a reader of the news. I don't read enough fiction. As sometimes it's, it's good for a diversion, especially during COVID times, right?
0: Yeah, we'll have to find one for you then. I'll source one and let you know.
1: Yes, please.
0: What's up next on your Netflix queue?
1: Uh, Ozark. Um, we just started... Um, it's uh It's been really intense. So, my wife is a as a mental health counselor, and and I have some you know stressful days at work. So we both agreed it's pretty much a weekend thing because you know it's it's yep. so intense we can't watch it <laughs> after.
0: Yes, I agree. You got to balance that out. Put on a Disney movie. Yeah, or something. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the last one. What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year?
1: I think. More and more people um, will leverage, you know, Siri or Alexa or the Google uh, voice piece for, um, you know, searching on stuff. I, I think, you know, particularly like so much of our population uh, is aging. For whatever reason, when I see somebody have a question, I see them using the voice search the most, like, uh, like my grandparents, uh, that, that demographic. I think it's as it gets better, uh, we'll see it used more and more.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Who wants to type anymore? Too much work. I like that. I know. That's right. Well, Taylor, it's been a blast having you on. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and Soft International?
1: Yeah, so uh, you can check us out on the web at softtext.com. We're also on Facebook uh, and Instagram. Uh, you could also check out any of our brands like Sensorpedic, Sensor Gel, or Biopedic. And, you know, for me personally, I'm on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, uh, Taylor Jones. Uh, there's Well, there's a lot of Taylor Joneses, but uh, I'm out there.
0: We will link you up. We will find okay. you. Don't worry. All right. Well, thanks so much, Taylor. And we will talk to you soon.
1: Okay. Thanks so much, Stephanie. This is great.
2: Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.